the rustling of the leaves of the Bible. It's music to the preacher's ears. One of the uh, great dilemmas facing a preacher who's uh, preaching on a passage of the Old Testament which is quoted in the New is whether to have that uh, New Testament passage read. Uh, The danger of having it read as well as the Old Testament passage is, uh, well, two reasons. Is that, uh, first off, we all get fixated on it. Uh, So uh, I either spend all my time on it rather than looking at the passage in the Old Testament itself. And the other danger is that uh, you, knowing that we're heading towards that New Testament passage, uh, drift off until we get there. Uh, Can I just say, uh, we are going to go there, and we will be going to Acts 2 later on, but uh, we need to do some uh, uh, work in Psalm 19 to start with. And uh, I hope as we look at it, you will see the great riches that there are in Psalm 19. And I, I hope that as we look at it, you will see treasures beyond belief. Well, my promise is that ultimately we will get there. I hope that you will promise to me that uh, you'll stay awake until we do. Well, a quick glance down at uh, Psalm uh, 16 then. It reveals to us that it's a psalm of David, a miktam of David. And as we listen to Sandra reading that psalm, it's clear that uh, David is having a particularly rough time. In verse 1, he cries out to God saying, Keep me safe, O God. For in you I take refuge. That's where he begins. And yet by uh, verse 8 over the page, he says this. He says, because he, the Lord, is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Here then is uh, great confidence. But it's not confidence in the face of something that's uh, that's trivial. Uh, Just look down at verse 10. It is confidence in the face of of the grave. Confidence in the face of death. Uh, David's confidence in the Lord, even in the face of what is probably the worst situation uh, he would have faced till that stage, it reveals to us uh, a lot about first the faithful servant and second the faithful God. Let's begin then with the faithful servant in verses 1 through to 8. The picture painted in verses 1 to 8 is that of a faithful servant who in verse 1 calls out in his fear to his Lord. He takes refuge in him. But these aren't uh, the cries of someone who's sort of hoping beyond all hope that someone is going to offer him help. Someone is going to hear and come and rescue him. These aren't the cries of someone who is not knowing whether he is going to be helped by the person he's crying out to. He's not like someone who's lost in the middle of the wood and starts shouting out uh, for someone to hear him, not knowing if somebody will, not knowing if someone is going to rescue them and show them the way out. No, these are the cries of someone who is certain that the Lord will rescue him. He is a single-minded follower of the Lord who says that when everything else fails, God is my refuge. And we have before us, really, what is an urgent prayer of the faithful servant. And we see his faithfulness in three ways. First off, we see that he delights in the Lord. He's able to say to the Lord, verse 2, You are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. In other words, he says, look, uh, my health, uh, my wealth, my well-being, they're found only in you. 
outside of you, Lord, I've got nothing that is good. That is true delight, is it not? It's a single-mindedness that trusts God for everything that is worth having in this life. I have to admit that I find that kind of delight very challenging. And I suspect that you do also. If we were asked, where do we put our refuge when things fail? I wonder what you would say. Would it be in your education or professional qualifications? Would it be uh, money that you've got stored up in the bank for a rainy day? Uh, Would it be a good pension pot when you retire? Would it be family to look after you when you're ill? Or perhaps a health policy? Or might it be your talents to get you a job when you are made redundant? Or friends and family to comfort you when you feel lonely? David is the faithful servant who delights in his Lord and his Lord alone. You can see that single-mindedness again if you, turn out, if you look down to the bottom at verse 4. Uh, the sorrows of those will increase who run after other gods. I will not pour out their libations of blood. I'm not going to make sacrifices to them or take up their names upon my lips. David doesn't hedge his bets He doesn't worship at the shrine of so-called other gods. His hope, his stability, his uh, means of facing and surviving whatever lies before him, even a potentially fatal situation, comes from God alone. And more than that, he's learnt the lesson that to put hope anywhere else is not just pointless, it increases sorrow. Because it is not a sure foundation. It is not a rock to stand on. I think uh, that's a real challenge to us for two reasons. First, in our society today, we are told to uh, be self-sufficient or to depend upon the government to help us out. And secondly, we rarely face situations that bring us face-to-face with our own mortality. I think, therefore, that that we find it uh, easy to think that we can get through situations without God. We can do it ourselves. But David says to do so is not just pointless. It's just going to heap up sorrow upon sorrow. A friend of mine called uh, Simon Gilbo was a missionary in Burundi and he recounts the story of a man he met by the side of the road. This man was a Christian, he found out, and uh, he'd lost everything. Uh, He'd lost his family, they were all killed, his wife, his children, his grandchildren. He'd lost his home, it had been burnt to the ground. He'd lost his livelihood, his animals and the tools that he used to gain, to make things and get money. He'd lost his possessions. All he had were the rags that he was standing in. And uh, Simon says how he was stunned by what the man said to him. He said these words, he said, I did not realise that Jesus was all I needed until Jesus was all I had. Let me just say that to you again. I did not realise that Jesus was all I needed until Jesus was all I had. That is the mark of the faithful servant who delights in the Lord. And that delight remains so firm 
that though they lose everything else, they are able to keep on delighting. So that in uh, verse 5, the psalmist and you and I can say, Lord, you have assigned me my portion of my cup. You've made my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. And that, of course, is absolutely true. If you are a Christian person here this morning, if you are delighting in the Lord who has given you himself, who went to the cross to pay the price for your sin, then listen to these words from Romans 8, verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave himself up for us all, how will he not also along with him, graciously give us all things? And the answer is that he will. God cannot love us any more than he has already done so when he decided to die upon a cross for us and forgive us our sin through the fact that Jesus had paid the price for it through his own death. God has done and given us what we most needed. So you see, by delighting in him, we are secure in the most important thing that we will ever need in this life. And we are prepared for being judged by him. Now, of course, David didn't know the full extent of God's love, but he knew enough to delight in him alone. I wonder about you. Can you say that about yourself? Are you content in him alone? Do you find in him all that you need? Well, the mark of the faithful servant, the one who will be unshaken, even in the face of death, is that they delight in the Lord alone. But there's more to uh, the faithful servant than this. And we see, secondly, that uh, the faithful servant also is someone who is delighting in the Lord's people. Uh, Verse 3, just turn back. As for the saints who are in the land... They are the glorious ones in whom is all my delight. This is one of the consequences of delighting in the Lord and in him alone, is that you love and delight in those who are his people. Uh, King David had genuine reasons, worldly reasons, why he should not do that. He was exiled by his own people. And yet, even though he had been exiled, he lived side by side with Philistines, and with other nations, and he never stopped loving them. He never stopped loving Israel and delighting in them. They were the people of the Lord. They were the people his Lord delighted in, and they were the people he was going to delight in also. And I think we, in our 21st century, find this also very difficult, because the world says that we pick and choose who we want to be friends with. We base it on all sorts of criteria, And we try to justify them, whether it's age or culture or background or education or employment and so on. But when it comes to God's people, there may be lots of worldly reasons for us not to get on, not to delight in one another. But we are to do so. The faithful servant of the Lord does just that. Uh, Jesus commanded us to love one another. That was how the world was going to know that the Father sent him. And uh, John, in his first letter, John, chapter uh, 1 John 4, verse 19, says this, 
He says, we love because he loved up, first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he is a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And he's also, he has given us this command. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. You see, there's no such thing as the Lone Ranger Christian. Because we can't uh, delight in God's people if we don't meet with them. And of course, we cannot delight in God if we do not delight in his people. Most of us will probably move heaven and earth to make a key family reunion or uh, party. But how many of us would do the same in order to get, to, God, to get together with God's family, with God's people? I think that's quite a challenge, isn't it? If we delight in one another here this morning, then we'll take time and make time to meet up with one another, to make Sundays a priority, to make our small group a priority also. And I know those who are involved in small groups find those uh, places of great reward. And in the context of this psalm, uh, like David, people in small groups, people who meet with other Christians, find that God gives them the support and the help that they need through such people so that when life gets a bit bumpy, they have others who delight in them and delight to help and support them. You see, delighting in God's people is not time wasted, it is time well spent. It shows our delight in the Lord and it brings great benefit for one another. So can I encourage you to think about whether you do delight and how you delight in God's people. I suppose one of the first steps might be to look at your diary and to see where God's people fit into your diary week by week. Whether they are our priority. Whether we are living as faithful servants. So the faithful servant delights in the Lord, delights in his people, and thirdly, delights in the Lord's word. Verse 7. David says, I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night my heart instructs me. It might seem uh, obvious that the one who delights in the Lord would delight in his word also. There's a wonderful picture here, isn't there, of, of what happens when we allow the Lord to speak to us and counsel us, to instruct us, to speak into our hearts so his word is written on our hearts. Do you see what happens as, as David seeks and receives the Lord's word and his guidance? So it is written on his heart. And his heart speaks to him. Even at night, my heart instructs me. So as God speaks, David's heart beats in tune with the Lord and speaks that word to David. It's a great picture, isn't it, of harmony, of the Lord's word shaping and fashioning his faithful servant so that he's prepared for whatever lies ahead. We cannot delight in the Lord unless we desire and delight in what he has to say to us. Jesus put it like this in John 14, verse 23. If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My Father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me will not obey my teaching. 
That is a challenge, isn't it? But it tells us that if we love Jesus, we will obey. And God himself will come and take up residence in our hearts. It shows us, it's almost like a cycle, isn't it? We have the words of the Lord. We read it. We obey it. We delight in the Lord himself. The Lord in us helps us to understand and helps us to delight in it and to live it out. It's a circle, isn't it? Of how the Lord is at work in us by his word and by his spirit. It may not come easy delighting in God's word. Uh, Sometimes, uh, I'm sure all of us would open God's word out of duty rather than delight. And yet, as you do so, as you continue to read God's word, you begin to delight in him and in his word. If you're someone who's finding God's word arid or dry at the moment, don't put it away. Bring it out and read. Because as you read, you will find that your heart begins to beat for him and your delight in him grows and your delight for his word grows also. So then this is how David is able to face the earthquakes of life without being shaken. He delights in the Lord and in his people and he delights in his word. Now it might be tempting for us to look at David or to look at somebody else who is a keen and looks like a strong Christian whose faith we admire and say to them, it's okay for you. You can weather those storms because you've got a faith that is really strong. I haven't got that faith. You know, that's why we need to see the second and most important part of this psalm, really, and see the faithful God, the faithful Lord that David is in relationship with. You see, there's no point in having a faith in someone who cannot deliver. Uh, You'll remember the uh, postal uh, problems we've had, the postal strike, and also the other problem when we had snow and the postman couldn't get to us or we couldn't get to the post box to post our letter. And no matter how much faith we had in the postman at that time, they weren't going to be able to deliver because they were either on strike or or they couldn't get to deliver because of the snow. You see, our faith is dependent upon the one whom we put faith in. And David, like every other faithful servant, knows that his faith rests upon the faithfulness of his Lord. This is the foundation for his faith and why he knows he will not be shaken, even, even in the face of death. And if you just cast your minds uh, and eyes back over the psalm, you can see back in uh, verse 1, you can see that the Lord has already shown himself to be faithful in protection. He's the one who gives David refuge when he needs it. Uh, Verse 2 and verses 5 and 6, the Lord is faithful in providing what David needs. He gives us what we need and when we need it, not necessarily what we want. And then in verse 7, we see that the Lord is faithful in instruction. He tells us what we need to know and he guides us as and when we need it, if we will listen. This, you see, is why David can be faithful. Why we, like David, need to look nowhere else other than to the Lord God. We can put our lot in with Jesus without reservation. But there are two other aspects of the Lord 
and you'll see those over the page if you haven't turned over already, that the Lord is faithful in relationship and faithful in resurrection. I wonder if you notice in verse 2 as uh, David speaks of the Lord, he speaks of him as the Lord, capital L-O-R-D. David is using the personal name for his God, yours and mine. He has a living relationship with the living God. And then you, you've seen, as we've looked time and time again at verse 8, he says, I have set the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. It is a picture of God who is with his people. He is the God of relationship and is faithful to that relationship that we have with him. At the end of the Great Commission in Matthew's Gospel, Matthew chapter 28, verse 20, Jesus says these words. Having told us to go to all nations, he says these words. He says, and behold, I will be with you always. Not just some of the time, but all of the time. Jesus says, go, and he goes with us. Our relationship with him knows no boundaries. That's been something that we've been thinking about at uh, as we've been looking ahead towards the church graft, it can be very easy to look at the cost of going on the church graft and decide not to go, or to feel so shaken that we can't uh, be involved. Perhaps it's the thought of moving house, or leaving friends, or leaving folk here and going to another place. Perhaps it's because of what it may cost for our children and their schooling or whatever else that may be. Perhaps it's just the fear of the unknown. And yet God promises that our relationship with him will be unbroken. He promises he will go with us, that he is at our right hand. And that means for, for all of us, whether it's me or my wife Ali, or those uh, three or so people who have already said that they will come with us, that we need not be shaken because of who he is. He is the God who is faithful in relationship. Well, it may not be the graft that troubles us. Other things, be it financial or uh, medical or something else, something relational, a relationship that uh, we've lost. David would say to you and to me, reach out to the Lord, for he is there at our right hand. He is there and he will walk through us, with us through the earthquake and we need not be shaken. These were, of course, the words that Peter applied to Jesus who, even in the face of death, knew that his father would be faithful. Even as Jesus hung upon the cross, forsaken and abandoned, so that we need not be, so that the words of uh, verse 10 may be true, he knew his father was faithful. Uh, death is an awful prospect. Over the past few uh, months, I've met with a number of people who are dying. And let me just tell you that whilst each of them fears the process of dying, because it will be painful and difficult, yet those who are God's faithful servants have time and again said to me, David, I do not fear death. You see, there is a great difference between those who, who know and enjoy that relationship with God and know and trust that their relationship with him is secure. 
Verse 9, David says, My heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body will also rest secure. That is what they have done. Even this past week I met someone who's not been a Christian that long at all, a matter of weeks. And whilst uh, he and his family fear what lies ahead, he does not fear death. And that leads me to the final aspect of God's faithfulness that David reveals here. That God is faithful in resurrection. Faithful in resurrection. Verses uh, 10 and 11. David speaks of his confidence in the Lord, in and through death. Verse 10. David rests secure because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. David here looks forward to life after death. He knew that he would not be abandoned, even in death. He might have been shaken, but he was not, for he trusted in his faithful Lord. Yes, back in verse 1, he said he felt like a refugee, taking refuge in the Lord. And yet that refuge would ultimately, in verse 11, bring him the riches of heaven. For he was heir to eternal pleasures at God's right hand. And so for the meantime, he trusted that God was at his right hand. Now it's obvious as we read these verses that David must have been speaking about things beyond his experience. Because we know, as as Peter told us in that first sermon on Pentecost morning, Peter tells us that David did die and that if people wanted to go and find his grave, they could have found it and found his bones there. David did see decay. And yet, Peter tells us that David was speaking as a prophet. He knew that God had promised on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne and that that descendant would not see decay. He's speaking of Jesus Christ, who, yes, died on a cross, but God raised miraculously on the third day. Before his body saw decay, God raised this Jesus to life and Peter and others were witnesses of that. What David was prophesying here in Psalm 16 happened 900 years later. That first Easter morning, the tomb was gloriously open and Jesus was seen alive. And that is vitally important for us this morning. Paul tells us just how important in Romans chapter 8, verse 11. For it brings us hope in the face of death. Let me just read to you Romans 8, 11. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. Do you see that? If you are in Christ today, the spirit of Christ lives in you and he indeed will bring resurrection to you. See, this is the sure and certain hope that if you believed in Jesus Christ, if you are a faithful servant of the faithful God, he is indeed faithful. 
So that even in death, our relationship with him is not broken. For he leads us through death, through judgment, to eternity, and to enjoying his eternal pleasures forever. No fear of hell, for Jesus paid the price for our sin when he died. And all of that, not because we are faithful, but because he is faithful. Faithful in relationship, faithful in resurrection. It means there is no fear in death. I've said to my wife, Ali, that the final hymn we're going to sing this morning is a hymn that I want at my funeral Thanksgiving service. It says this, the the final verse. It says, no guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. That is the truth that I hold on to and that we can and should hold on to, not because of who we are, but because of who he is. For in Christ alone, our hope is found. He is my light, my strength and my soul. God is faithful in relationship, faithful in resurrection. And so we are able to delight in him, to delight in his people and delight in his word. That means we can face the earthquakes of life today, tomorrow, next week and next year. How should we respond to this message? Well, for those of us that are in Christ, let us rejoice. Let us place our feet firmly and keep them firmly on the rock that is Christ. For it is the sure foundation. It is solid ground. And for those of us yet to do so, what did Peter say when he was asked by others, what shall we do when they heard the message of Christ who had risen? He said, repent and be baptised in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you've yet to place your faith in Jesus, there's no other better day than to do it. Do it today before it is too late. Place your feet upon the rock that is Christ. And if you'd like to do that, please do come and see me afterwards, if you're not sure. So here you have it, Psalm 16. A psalm which has at its heart these words, I have set the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Let's pray. In Christ alone, my hope 